and welcome to Kerrang! Back Issues. I'm your host Stephen and this week we'll be looking at issue number 555, July 22nd, 1995, £1.45. They didn't know it but in the future Slipknot wrote a song about this <laughs> issue of Kerrang! If you're 555 then I'm 666. What's it like to be a heretic? So this is episode number 30 for the year. Um, the cover stars for this week are three British bands. Reef, Bush and Skunkanancy. The new wave of British noise, they'll blow you away. Win a Harley with Rock City. Money off Biohazard and Cancer LPs at Virgin. Pearl Jam on the road. Wild Hearts. Why did they cancel Phoenix? Four killer posters plus Offspring, Batman Forever, Sick of It All and Moist. If you would like to get in contact with us here at Kerrang! Back Issues, we can be contacted via Instagram, Kerrang! Back Issues, Twitter, Kerrang! Pod, and email kerrangbackissues at gmail.com. If you would like to leave us a review on Apple or Spotify, that would be great, and no problems if not. The issue this week is really stacked. There's loads in it, um, so let's just get cracking into that, because there's three really good interviews with Reef, Bush, and Skunk and Nancy, and there's a Pearl Jam on the road piece that I want to get to as well, if time permits. So, yeah, let's crack on. The uh, swift word from the editor begins... It's been Gig Central in London this last week, where you could catch with a bit of careful planning Weezer, Silverchair, Biohazard, Dog Eat Dog, Shyad, Slashy Snake Bit, and Sick of It All. And that's not to mention all the bands you could gorge yourself on at the Phoenix Festival. Of course, your mates at Kerrang! were at a lot of these shows, and right now, we're just about buggered. Still, we ain't complaining and look forward to get more knackering festivities come the Donington Reading weekend. If you're still scratching your head about how you're going to get into them both, here's a couple of possible solutions. 1. Join White Zombies Road Crew and get in for nothing. 2. Get your mum to make you a nice St John's ambulance uniform, then paint the red cross on your Uncle Bob's van and just drive straight in. To be honest, we're as baffled as anyone as to how we're going to get to the two festivals, so we'd welcome your ideas. Best suggestion, win free tickets, transport, hotels and 500 quid spending money for each event. Uh, maybe not. Mike Peake, Deputy Editor. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Mayhem, the loudest news first. Everything's gone fucking pear-shaped. The Wild Hearts back in Shitsville as Keds is sacked. The Wild Hearts cancelled their planned headline appearance at the Phoenix Festival because they'd sacked guitarist Mark Keds. Keds, who was recruited a mere two months back, was ejected following a bizarre and bitter communication breakdown between himself and the rest of the band. The ex Sensitive Things leader had gone to Japan for a series of farewell dates with his former band and had yet to return at the time of writing. The Wild Hearts have not heard from him since his departure. Wild Hearts bassist Danny and drummer Rich, still shattered by the enforced last minute decision to pull out of the Phoenix Festival, have nothing but scorn to pour on their former bandmate. Everything's gone fucking pear-shaped, storms Danny. Did you ever see that telephone advert where they say it's good to talk? I want to go up to Mark and whack him round the fucking head with a telephone and go, look you cunt, it's a telephone. A wonderful invention that happened years ago. I mean, Rich and Ginger don't have houses, so he couldn't phone them. But he knows my number and he knows our manager's number. He should have phoned and said something. Either way, it's lucky we didn't pay him the little cunt. Rich admits that the hiring of Keds was an act of desperation, really. We hadn't played for so long and we weren't doing what we were supposed to be doing. He could play the guitar, he could sing and he was a nice bloke. 
We thought we'd fucking get him in and see what happened, but he obviously wasn't a nice bloke. The Wild Hearts were also planning a series of European club dates, says Danny, to tighten up for the Phoenix. It's an important thing. It's not like it's for two fucking people. Indeed, Ginger and Co had a very special jam planned for one part of their set featuring their ex-guitarist CJ, now in Honeycrack, among others. Yeah, not to Danny. CJ, one of the Sex Pistols, one of the Damned and one of the fucking angelic upstarts. Choir Boy's frontman Spike was going to do it. And so was ex-Dogster Armoire main man Tyler. It was going to be fucking great, but we didn't have the time. The rehearsal was a fucking abortion. We were in Cornwall and you can't expect people to travel all that way. The band scheduled appearance at the Glasgow Teen Apart Festival on August the 5th with Therapy, Skunkanati and Terrorvision is also looking in severe doubt. Rich. I'm not looking forward to seeing Mark again, to be honest. The only thing that would make sense as to why he hasn't called would be if he's got run over or something. Apart from that, I really can't comprehend how someone could be that much of a cunt. Not one phone call. I mean, on the phone you can't even get a smack in the face. You just don't fuck with people like that. Especially not the fucking Wild Hearts bits, Danny. I hope he's had a really good time because fuck me, he's not getting back in this fucking band. He's let us down and he's let Wild Hearts fans who pay their gyro and pocket money to get to the Phoenix just so one person can have a fucking holiday. I really liked him as well. Everyone got on with him. He got the guitar bits roughly right, although he didn't learn the vocals. That's another thing adds Rich. I don't know, maybe this is getting a little too personal, but if you really want to do a job, you learn all the stuff, just like me or Danny did. Stock Press. Stone Temple pilot singer Wyland, who was arrested for possession of drugs on May the 15th, has had his court case adjourned until August 31st. However, he's expected to escape a jail sentence by undergoing a drug rehabilitation program. Sepultura's Third World Chaos video will get an exclusive screening at three exposure rock cafes in Level Street, Merry Hill, at 15A West Street, Hereford, and Paradise Place, Birmingham, at 8pm on Saturday, July 22nd. Copies of the video and assorted other SEPs goodies will also be given away at each venue. Poison Idea, the portly Portland punk gods have reformed. Stay tuned for more news shortly. Honeycrack, who appeared at the Phoenix Festival this weekend, will release their second single at the end of August. It looks set to be either Go Away or Paperman. Faith No More will tour the UK in November. The San Franciscan superstars follow up their headlining spot at the Phoenix Festival with the following shows. London Brixton Academy, November 15th and 16th. Manchester Arena 17th, Birmingham NEC 18th, Dublin The Point 24th and Glasgow SECC on the 25th. Tickets for all shows are on sale now priced at £15. Support acts for the trek are set to be confirmed shortly. Prior to the date, Faith No More's latest album King For A Day, Fall For A Lifetime will get a limited edition re-release on a series of 7-inch vinyl EPs on August the 7th. The 7 EPs which will be packaged in a box set collect together all the original album tracks and an assortment of songs that didn't appear on King for a Day. The box set will also feature some very informative sleeve notes courtesy of Kerrang! editor Phil Alexander. Wreath, whose debut album Replenish crashed into the UK top 10, will release a new single Weird on July 24th, and it'll be backed by a clutch of live dates. Weird does not appear on Replenish and it will be deleted after two weeks on sale. It will be available in the following three formats. CD, cassette and 7-inch vinyl. Oh, that's the free. <laughs> I read it out too quickly. <laughs> so free format, CD, cassette and 7-inch vinyl. I mean, isn't that standard for single releases in 1995? Anyway. Offspring release a new single, Gotta Get Away, on August the 7th. The single, which is backed by a live version of Smash, is a one-off release through London-based Out of Step Records. It will also be the last track to be drawn from the 7 million selling Smash album. 
Offspring are now back in Orange County, California, having played their final show of the Smash World Tour in LA on July the 8th. They plan to take an extended break after spending more than two years on the road. However, frontman Dexter Holland has already started writing songs for the next studio album which is scheduled to be released next year on Epitaph. In the meantime, the band have contributed a cover of the damn tune Smash It Up to the Batman Forever soundtrack album which is out now. No effects, the US punk heavyweights will play five dates in the UK and Ireland next month. You can catch them at Wolverhampton Wolfram Hall August 20th, Cogna Forum 21st, Dublin Mean Fiddler 22nd, Glasgow Garage 23rd and Reading Festival on the 27th. The band, whose last album Punk in Droblick has now sold more than a quarter of a million copies, will be supported on all their headlining dates by label mates Total Chaos. NoFX will also have a live album issued by Fat Records later this month. At present, they're preparing material for their next studio set, which will emerge on Epitaph early next year. Records news and dearly beheaded, the Nottingham Thrashers will issue their debut EP in a darkened room through Music for Nations within the next couple of months. Further details shortly as soon as we have them. Creator, the German thrash metal act released their new album Cause for Conflict through German label Gun during August. Vince Neil, the second solo album from the former Motley Crue frontman Carved in Stone has had its release postponed by Warner Brothers. No new date has been set for the album to appear. Six Feet Under, the death metal band featuring Cannibal Corpse vocalist Chris Barnes and obituary guitarist Alan West issued their debut LP Haunted via Metal Blade during late September. In the meantime, Cannibal Corpse will begin work on their next album with legendary death metal producer Scott Burns during mid-August. Stanford Prison Experiment, the rising Californian post-punks issued their second album through world domination on August 21st. It's titled Gatto Hunch and was produced by Ted Nicely. Voivod, the Canadian Space Cadets, issued their first album since signing to the Play It Again Sam label during mid-August. Titled Negatron, it marks the recording debut of new bassist vocalist Eric Forrest and sees industrial guru Jim Furwell of Fetus guesting on one track, DNA. Tour news and Bush, the hot UK rockers play Nottingham Clinton Rooms July 20th, Glasgow King Tut's Wawa Hut 21st, Birmingham Juggervale 23rd, Stoke Wheatsheaf 24th, Manchester Roadhouse 25th and London Highbury Garage on the 26th. Crown of Thorns, the US rockers have added the following dates to their UK tour, Newcastle Riverside July 26th, Glasgow Cat House 27th, Manchester University 28th. In addition, UK hard rockers The Shock will be the support act on all dates with Scrap Iron Scientists also on the bill for the London date at LA2 on July 25th. Dub War, the fast rising UK act will precede their appearance at the Reading Festival with dates at London Deptford Free Festival July 29th, Glasgow Tea in the Park Festival August 5th, Cardiff Festival 10th, a limited edition of a thousand copies of their Pain CD will be available through Earache to coincide with this festival frenzy, which includes a free, free track CD entitled Extra Pain featuring new recordings of early songs Psycho System, Words of Warning and Original Murder. Primus, the Californian Weirdos play London LA2 on September the 15th. Choir Boys, the legendary reformed sleeves band, play Bradford Rios on August the 10th. This will be their only UK club date. Understand, the South End Punk Act will be supporting We Know Where You Live at Brighton Zap Club July 19th, London LA2 on the 20th. The band are expected to issue their debut album through East West later this summer.
Mayhem America, the hottest US news as it happened, and they've switched things around, so this week we're starting with Lisa Johnson in LA. Schmoozing it out backstage at the Weenie Roast in Irvine, California meant eating lots of grapes and rubbing elbows with the best of them. The day featured over 13 bands on one stage, including headliners The Ramones, Hole, Rancid, Raging the Machine, Soul Asylum, White Zombie, Bush and Sponge. A good day out, you get the picture. Rage Against the Machine hadn't played a show in the area for over a year and judging from the crowd reaction they've been sorely missed. As the crowd grew more and more out of control someone decided it was time to get the band off stage but when the stage began to rotate halfway through freedom mass booing um, wailed through the air and as fate would have it the stage stuck mid-turns and the band played on sending the hot-blooded mosh pit into an ecstatic dance of victory. Backstage, it was a mishmash of rockstar delights. Of course, actress Drew Barrymore in a fetching halter top was there with her boyfriend, whole guitarist Eric Erlandson. I saw him making out in particularly enthusiastic fashion. When they were grooving to the Ramones set, White Zombie were stretched out on the sofa in front of their dressing room trailer. Offspring made it down to watch Radiance Machine and Rancid, and ex-cult singer Ian Asprey was down for the league and presumably to watch Hull, who the cult toured with in Australia back in January. Porno for Pyro's drummer Stephen Perkins hid beneath a tree while Bush were hidden uh, behind an onslaught of TV cameras. The after show private party was held in a horrid sports bar at a nearby hotel. Imagine the American equivalent of Milton Keynes, where the music consisted solely of the Reality Bite soundtrack. Fortunately, it was nearly inaudible over the din of conversation from the impressive array of guests, including Radiant Machine, Offspring, White Zombie, Holes Melissa and Eric, and Drew and Rancid. US News Extra Pearl Jam's 10 debut has now sold over 9 million copies in the US making it the best selling album of the 90s. Neil Young's Mirrorball album which features Pearl Jam as backing band entered the Billboard album charts at number 5 selling a whopping 93,000 copies on its first week of release. Henry Rollins has just launched an audiobook company in the US called 213 CD. The label's first release includes spoken word albums by Last Exit to Brooklyn author Hubert Selby Jr., Rollins Band guitarist Chris Haskett and X-Man Exine Sekvenka. We now join Don Kay in New York. Fear Factory's recent gig at the Limelight was well attended and suitably intense, although marred by the usual sloppy sound mix at the so-called rock and roll church. Nevertheless, the highlight was a body-slamming cover of Agnostic Front's classic Your Mistake on which the factory were joined by former Youth of Today vocalist Ray Capo, who's now with Shelter, a nice 80s New York hardcore flashback. The countdown to the Worldwide Kiss Convention's arrival in New York continues and anticipation has been building as a result of events that occurred at the LA stop. It was during Kiss's unplugged set that the cat himself ex-drummer Peter Chris leapt on stage for several numbers. Chris sang lead vocals on Hard Luck Woman, then split tonsil chores on Nothing To Lose with his latest successor, Eric Singer. Now, Peter and original Kiss Axeman Ace Freely are touring together and they hit New York the same week as the Kiss convention. Could we see a reunion of the original foursome on stage? We'll keep you posted. The Tad Clutch Tour pulled into New York last week for a packed reception at Tramps on 21st Street. However, the event was marred by the news that Tad were dropped the same day by their label, Electra. This comes a bare two months after the release of their first album for the label, Infrared Riding Hood. Apparently, Tad's A&R representative was also dismissed from the label. Since she also looks after Clutch and Seattle upstart Sweetwater, their futures with Electra must be in some doubt.
Beavis, you've never been to a concert in your life. Shut up! We now come to concerts, and the first concert reviewed this week is Biohazard, supported by Dog Eat Dog, live at the Octagon Sheffield on Tuesday, July the 11th. Reviewed by Meanie, this one gets a static out of 5, which is a 3 out of 5. With six musicians on an overcrowded stage, including a saxophonist, Dog Eat Dog come across like punk rock's answer to Fishbone. The New Yorkers flesh out their slightly insubstantial grooves of their All Borough Kings album into something chunkier and worthy of the passion that they put into it. They might lack the genius of the Beastie Boys for cross-fertilisation and verbal gymnastics, but as rap hardcore goes, if these are the good times and no fronts are spunky enough on this occasion. The improvement from last year's shows with Biohazard is astounding, and if they can bottle this up and sell it with the next record, they'll be laughing. The crowd were loving them. Biohazard take themselves a hell of a lot more seriously. If Dog Eat Dog is a homeboy on a skateboard, Biohazard is an evil mother of an ex-con with a 45 and a score to sell. The problem with Biohazard is that they insist on retaining the anger and the agenda they've inherited from hardcore, and ask to be judged on those terms. But their politics is that of the baseball bat. Not for Gazzy's subtle subterfuge or Raising Against the Machine's cruder version of uh, same, with a histronic intro tape creeping dangerously towards Metallica ballad terrain with Love Denied when Billy Graziardi wheels out a keyboard, Biohazard depressingly are rockstar stadium gear, even though musically and visually copying Vinnie Stigma stage moves they are closer to agnostic front than Bon Jovi. As agit rockers, they don't really cut it. They ask the crowd if they know what's going on in Bosnia, but their vitriolic raps offer no perspective on anything except to say that the world is an ugly fucked up place full of guns and violence. Thanks, we'd figured that out. Black and white and red all over, trots out anti-fascist sentiment, then you get a new song called Scumbag about the atrocity of rape. Biohazard, like Downset and Rollins, are anger that has forgotten its point. A pistol firing constantly, but mostly missing the target. The next review is for Sick of It All, supported by Civ, live at the Wharton Centre Milton Keynes on Sunday, July the 9th. Reviewed again by Meanie, this one gets a static out of 5, which is a 3 out of 5. You can't please me, apparently. A rock family tree of New York hardcore is an artist's nightmare, but it'd make for interesting reading, especially the bit that ties up Quicksand, Orange 9mm and Civ, the most progressive of the current wave of New York angsters. This was the first visit to the UK for Civ, fronted by ex-Gorilla Biscuits vocalist Civ, as it happens, but if justice is done, the glare of publicity will soon be upon them as they surf to superstardom on the strength of their humongous forthcoming Set Your Goals LP. If deprived of your hearing, you were to cop a glimpse of these four handsome teddy boys stomping about in their brothel creepers, you'd imagine that King Kurt Revival was upon us. Luckily, the comparison extends no further than Civ's sartorial elegance. Can't wait one minute more, an obvious single has a rockabilly-ish skank to it, but the tone of this frantic set was way punker. Straddling the straight ahead a youth of today hardcore, the Cockney rejectsisms of United Kids and the poppier epitaph stuff. In the crystal ball, I see Civ on the cover of Just 17. After Civ's eclectic fireball of a set, Sick of It All's tried and tested hardcore sounded uninspired. Sick of It All ain't compromised their sound. But now that 100% proof that a New York hardcore can be heard in Middle England on a regular basis, you start to wonder if, had you been a CBGB's regular, might you not have been bored of Agnostic Front by 1987. Sick of it all's acrobatics and pounding primal groove make for some merry moshing, and they flew through scratch the surface, cuts like the nihilistic No Cure and the LP's title piece like Oversized Kids 
on an amphetamine drip. But they offered hardly any of the soulful punkiness of Civ. And when sick of it all sound like Sham69 whose Borstal breakout they covered at the end on Step Down, they just sound retarded. But Civ make Oi sound cool. The next review this week is for Slash's Snake Pit, supported by Dollface, live at the Rock City Nottingham on Wednesday, July the 12th. Reviewed by Steve Beebe, this gets a static out of 5, which is a 3 out of 5. It's often difficult for fans to understand why friction can mount between band members during long tours. Normally problems are resolved once the tour finishes, but when you've got two corrosive personalities like Slash and Axel, it ain't so easy after all. Guns N' Roses have always flirted with disaster. Now, with Axel uh, looked on as a reclusive and somewhat disturbed figure, Slash, just like Duff McKagan before him, needs to let off steam. That is what Snake Pit is all about. Slash remains one of the most distinctive figures in the biz. He is greeted by this Nottingham audience like a long lost hero. F uh, face masked by his trademark mop, that black top hat glued to his head, Slash launches into a set of fiery blues based rock interspersed with examples of the other side of his coin. The emotive side that gave a sweet child of mine. Ex-Guns N' Roses man Gilby Clark, together with bassist James Lomenzo, formerly with White Lion and Pride and Glory, gives Snake Pit an impressive all-star lineup. Clark especially receives a tumultuous welcome when he is introduced. Um, Jellyfish man Eric Dover provides vocals. His throaty roar is certainly volatile enough, but it does lack both range and feeling. Among Slash's better numbers are the nasty bite in What Do You Want To Be and the immediate big chorus mentality that invigorates to take it away. The crowd are teased mercilessly with snippets of Guns riffs, which come to nothing. I notice Welcome To The Jungle on My Michelle. You may have spotted others. On slower numbers, Snake Pit come to shambolic grief, spiralling into endless jams. At times brilliant, Snake Pit can also be tedious as hell. Ironically, the show's twin highlights have little to do with Slash himself. Cure Me or Kill Me from Clark's Pawn Shop Guitars LP crushes with a smoking riff and a massive hook, while the cover of the Queen classic Sheer Heart Attack is a great climax. Earlier Dollface played a successful set to a difficult audience, their gritty melodies and rugged riffage earning a degree of respect, while the abrasive quality of Adrian Portis's songwriting raises more than a few eyebrows. By the time they ran through Ride the Revolution, Dollface have made friends with Rock City. Strange band to support Slash though. The next review this week is for Jay Church, supported by Sensefield, live at the Duchess of York Leeds on Tuesday, June the 20th. Reviewed by Meanie, again, this one gets a high voltage out of 5, 4 out of 5. Underground punk rock is alive and kicking. That was the conclusion to be drawn from this surprisingly well attended gig. The popularity of Sensefield and Jay Church is an entirely hype free phenomenon. Neither band has had more than a scrap of publicity, so it was reassuring to know that street kudos can still be earned. You get the feeling that Sensefield's downright poppy emo core wouldn't be half as well supported if they weren't on Revelation Records. That label seal of approval seemingly guarantees anyone a modicum of interest, but it's a pointless gripe because these guys rock pretty darn hard, and they deserve any praise that's been slung at them thus far. If you've got a solid rhythm section, you're more than halfway to having a decent band. Sensefield are slick and fluid in that department and they really put it out on stage, giving beef to what might otherwise be slightly innocuous popish melodies, like the ones that carry Bluegrass Man or Killed For Less, and allowing them to get away with raw, unfuzzed guitar. Other times, they remind you of later government issue on Found You for instance, by being tuneful without becoming sickeningly so. Look out for this quintet when they return here. 
San Francisco's J Church are a free piece with a similar penchant for understated melody, but they edge closer towards Green Day territory than Sinsfield ever do, and are somewhat sloppier in their delivery. The portly vocalist used to be in Cringer, and his throaty delivery adds a distinctive flavour to this band's music that could well have major labels waving contracts under their noses soon. Hard to know where all tonight's material was drawn from, as J Church release about one single every week. It was all new to me, but it certainly sounded sweet on initial impact. The final review for this week is Silverchair, supported by Cecil, live at the Astoria 2 London on Wednesday, July the 12th. Reviewed by Mike Peak, this gets static out of 5, 3 out of 5. Here we are now, 700 Aussies and me entertain us. We're sweaty as pigs, we've had a right shitty day baking under the sweltering London sun, and we're fucked off a treat of having to pay £1.10 for a bottle of fucking mineral water. So come on, Silvana, shake your bobs and make a bloody din. Blonde singer-guitarist Kurt exchanges nervous glances with bassist Chris during the opening number and instrumental, and the pair look for all the world like two lost 16-year-olds on a big stage. Oh, they are. The Aussies go mental. I buy my second water of the evening and moan a bit about Dave on the skins, who's got a shitty snare drum sound, no one notices him anyway, the girls all look uh, like Kurt and Chris got really long brown hair. Then Nirvana Chair, do a Sex Pistols version of one of our songs, sung with Cockney vocals and fuck me you can't help but chuckle, the thought of another mineral water makes you dizzy. Silverana Chair are young, cool, young, grungy and young. These are their free assets and with the backing of Sony will be used to great effect tonight. They're average at best, but bollocks to my cynical warblings, enjoy. Support band Cecil were miles better. We now come to one of our free cover stars for this week. Reef, we're bigger than Bon Jovi. Well, not quite, but that's what Reef joked at last month's Kerrang Awards and they got the biggest laugh of the day. Jason Arnott teams up with a quirky brick quartet for crazy tales of tracksuits, mini discs, king size joints and dolphins. Reef guitarist Ken Winhouse is rolling a funny looking cigarette in the back of a black cab as we trundle through the bustling North London suburb of Camden. His creation is a king size beauty constructed from one and a half Rizzler papers. Kenwin reckons he's got a mate who can roll one on the back of a motorbike, he may be joking. Britain's most successful new rock band finally end up on a bridge for a Kerrang! photo shoot. They're cheerful enough, Mr. House especially, but things don't quite go according to plan as snapper Dave Willis goes to work. Kenwin vanishes for a good 10 minutes to buy himself a carton of orange. Singer Gary Stringer is saving his voice for tonight's gig at the Underworld and is attempting to communicate via a series of clicks and whistles. It was like talking to a fucking dolphin, a disgruntled Willis moans later. During the photo shoot, Stringer walks over and leans towards my right ear. He speaks... We're not being arrogant, he insists. It's just that we don't think pictures should be set up. It should all be natural. So you'd prefer to be photographed in your dressing room? He considers that for a moment. Probably, yeah. Arrogant? Reef? Probably, yeah, a bit. A little bit of arrogance goes a long way. God knows. Chris Robinson of the Black Crows is a cocky fucker, but it's all part of the band's makeup. When Reef drummer Dominic Greensmith accepted their trophy for best single, the super sassy naked at this year's Kerrang Awards, singing, we're bigger than Bon Jovi, we're bigger than Bon Jovi like a five-year-old, it got the afternoon's biggest laugh. Reef simply believe in themselves. Timid bands can be boring anyway. Contrary to popular belief, Reef are not the most fashionable of bands. If they were, they'd be playing too cool grunge and hating the world. I think it's the easiest thing to write a song that sounds fucking sad and depressing, reckons Ken when clutching a pint in a pub near the bridge. I could write ten of them in a the morning, mate. 
Fucking Pojam bore me shitless. Them and Soundgarden. Band music does not express a good range of emotions. It's not all happy and upbeat. I just can't believe that some middle class kid who's grown his fringe a little bit, feels a bit depressed and wears black a lot has seriously gone through enough shit in his life to write genuine sad songs. I don't buy it, man. Says bassist Jack Bezant, People come up to us after shows and tell us we're creating the same vibe that ecstasy does. Everyone's smiling and chatting to each other, making friends at gigs. Kenwin. I don't think kids are into being depressed. I think they're into having a fucking laugh and enjoying themselves. They tell their mums they're depressed, but they're not. When your first single, Good Feeling, hits number 25 in the charts and the second Naked reaches 11, people naturally get suspicious. Some see Reef as mere puppets brought into the industry by the massive Sony Corporation. They just uh, make us write songs more aggressively, frowns Jack. People have totally the wrong perception of us, especially in the music press. Kenwin. Most of the press don't suss us. They get disappointed that we're not as fashionable as they expect us to be. We're just us, and people realise that when they come to see us play. Jack. Our clothes aren't very fashionable either. We've just got the honesty to pull it off. It's like wearing a pair of tracksuit bottoms. If you believe in it, you can pull it off. Size Kenwin. Some people are just total fucking fashion victims, man. They couldn't stand up and say an individual thing if they tried. When they see someone else doing it, it upsets them. The pair are keen to point out that they spent years playing dives. When they signed their deal with Sony spin-off S2, Kenwin notes, we were promoted to class one toilets instead of class two toilets. Infuses Jack, right from the start we were totally into it, getting our own gigs around here and full and Broadway, going out flyering and making it a bit of a laugh. It's not a quick route, Kenwin insists. We're not taking any fucking shortcuts here. I mean, we've made loads of mistakes. But listen to Jimmy Page playing guitar. He makes mistakes, but they sound better than what he intended. Most of the time, that's what makes him fucking brilliant. Sony D are undoubtedly well behind Reef. Travelling on the tube from Oxford Circus to Camden Town, no less than three Reef posters appear. This campaign alone cost thousands. Wicked loves Kenwin. Isn't it nice that a record company's taken a risk with a band like us, a real band? I mean, no one likes their fucking record company, man. They're always trying to corrupt the music to make money, but that's what every company does, whether they're an indie or a major. Those tube posters are ultimately being paid for by Reef, as anyone who's been watching TV's The Music Biz will know, but the boys are adamant that they won't end up having to sell their parents' houses. No, Kenwin smiles, although there is this little clause. This time, he definitely is joking. We're not George Michael, he chuckles. We didn't sign in a little fucking toilet somewhere when we were 18 years old. He was shafted. That's what the music business is. Reef definitely seem to know what they want and what they don't. So have they made any cash yet? We have, says Kenwin, but not loads. We just pay ourselves what we choose. We can ask the record company for more if we need to, but thank fuck we haven't uh, had to yet. And Jack, think how long we've all been playing. 10 years, all that time we haven't fuck all really. People like me and Jack are everywhere, says Kenwin. People who play instruments and make music. They're poor, they'll do it for fuck all, and people will take advantage of the fact that they will. What do your partners think? Are they afraid you'll be swept away on waves of sex and drugs? The guitarist shrugs. I've always enjoyed life to the full, man. Nothing can really change. I've got one mouth, nose, ass, and penis. How much fun can you have? Communication. Let's find out if the Rockers of 95 are still pissed off that Donington and Reddin have been put on the same weekend. The letter of the week this week begins... What do you get if you cross my dying bride and £4.50? Answer, a shit hot gig at the Oval Rock House in Norwich. 
The band played a thoughtless set, combining material from both their new album and their older releases. Many other bands could learn a lesson or two from these boys and pay a little more attention to their fans because even though they were knackered after finishing their set, they came out and chatted with the crowd and signed CDs and anything we put in front of them. This is a lot more than another northern band, no names mentioned but the initials PL look familiar, who let members of the crowd hang about outside after the gig for two hours and then piss off with not so much as a goodbye. What's wrong with acknowledging your fans after a gig? It would only take 10 minutes or so. My dying bride, thanks for an excellent night out and I hope other bands learn from the example that you set. The Armadillo's Belly from Norfolk. It's always good to see you being able to rock your socks off for under a fiver. So here's a Karen cap to headbang in at the next Doom show you go to. Editor. Why not call Donington the Monsters of Pop? A bit more appropriate seeing as teeny boppery towny love pop group Oasis have been put forward as possibly playing Donington. Who the fuck made that decision? Will Kerrang soon be full of six page Oasis exclusives simply because a member of Metallica owns an Oasis record? On a heavier note, Thank you, Therapy, for your recent gig at Manchester Boardwalk. It rocked. Claire Warrington. Well, it's finally happened. After years of listening to loud, heavy music, I fear that my hearing has finally been irreparably damaged. I first noticed the problem when listening to a doggy dog single. What I said? Pull the chain? Why are they singing about going to the toilet? It was later discovered that the line is, in fact, who's the king? The problem occurs with old and new songs alike. In Bon Jovi's Love Lies, there's... You're just a victim of the head lice, and in Paradise Lost the last time it's hogs breeding. Or maybe it's not damaged hearing after all, and in fact I've finally tuned into the hidden messages in these songs. Maybe other Krang readers can be of some assistance in the matter. Lucy Fur, Bournemouth. Gagging for a shagging. A belated happy birthday for June 14th to Queen's ranked scrum mongus Chris DeGamo. Those legs, those leather trousers, he is the sexiest man in the entire cosmos. Someone else will cheer. Do you love your music energetic? Do you crave the originality of Metallica and Megadeth in these days of bog standard metal? Do you like at least three songs on one album to sound different to the last? No? Then rush out and buy Draconian Times by Paradise Lost. You'll love it. The new Metallica, my ass. A big hairy spider, Stoke-on-Trent. Could you tell me the point in page 40 of Kerrang 553? We were supposed to be getting an interview with Fear Factory and instead you gave us shit about some daft movie. If you want to do an interview, do one. Don't hit us with fucking Film 95. McD, Glasgow. It was good to see Jeffro Tull's Ian Anderson presenting an award in Kerrang. Tull are a group that hardly get a mention in the magazine now. I hope that you remember them when they tour Britain in September. J-Rack, South Humberside. A message to all you whingers who slag off today's metal. If you think things are bad now, just look at the charts chronology for 10 years ago. Or 5 for that man. Dire Straits. Phil Collins, Steve Vai and Gary Moore singing the blues. As Beavis and Butthead would say, what the hell's this crap? Matthew Glover, Dorset. We now come to the second part of this week's cover stars. Bush, Brit boys slay the USA. One million and counting. Yep, platinum selling Brits Bush are massive in America, but so far they mean sod all back home. Jason Arnop catches up with the boys stateside on the eve of their first real tour of the UK. We've got a crisis on our hands. A British band released their first album two months ago, but with the exception of one London showcase gig, still ain't played any British dates to support it. Sweet Jesus, we can't have that. Butch have spent the last five months rocking America. 
Toilet tours, club tours and now headline dates. Their 16 stone debut, a fine kickoff with the old classic, has been out a good while in the States where it's sold over a million copies. Los Angeles is now familiar turf for Bush. They're signed to the LA label Trauma Interscope, but as their bus travels the hour journey from a gig back to their West Hollywood hotel, the quartet's forts are mostly of home. While they enjoy playing places like LA, frontman Gavin Rossdale admits that the unexpected extra week here is a bit of a drag. I would walk home east size, eyes more than a little stoned, I would start right now. Is he sick of being in America? We're sick of not being home. Half a year of that and at least two months of people loving the shit out of you can take its toll on anyone. Bush are clearly doing their best to maintain a sense of normality, but hanging around them for a day or so and the occasional spinal tapism can't help but surface. Someone wants a room on the other side of the hotel because their current one is too dark, etc. It would happen to you or I. Being a rock star is fun. Hell yeah, let's be pampered. At least no one complains about their sandwiches or suggests a provocative sleeve for the next album. Insist bassist Dave Parsons. Between the four of us, there's too much piss taking going on for it to ever become Spinal Tap. People would have the piss ripped out of them in a second. Drummer Robin Goodridge nods in agreement. On a tour like this, you find out whether you're really a team or just four individuals pursuing their own ends. There are bands in America that have had fucking massive hits then get halfway around the country and split up because they hate the fuck out of each other. You indulge your friends, says Gavin Rostow, with a kind of economic expression that infests bush tunes like Everything's End and Ex-Girlfriend. You only call me when you're down. Every now and again, someone gets a bit out of order and you throw them a bit of slack. Laughs guitarist Nigel Paulswood. We find the word dick to be the most effective. Who's earned the most dick points on this tour? Our tour manager chuckles Dave of their American road governor, a man whose chief duties include writing the word all on people's backstage passes with a marker pen. Has anyone in the band started saying tomato instead of tomato? Now nah, Robin smiles. Occasionally though, you have to say tuna instead of tuna or they just don't fucking understand. When you read this, Bush will be on the verge of facing the music in their homeland again. It will surely be a come down. What does Gavin Rossdale expect? I expect us to be going out there and doing our usual show, he shrugs. If we'd had the chance to get out of London and play shows around the UK before, we would have. It's just that no one could afford the van before we got signed. People can't get annoyed because we'll be in their town tomorrow. We're on our way. I mean, anyone with a fucking brain will realise that it's 1995 and you've got to do whatever you can to survive. We're English. All this is just circumstance and you can't begrudge us that. Robin. We were in the same position here in January as we are now in England. It'll be nice to get back to normal, but it's a bit like having two lives, which is quite destructive. I mean, we just signed an American record deal, nothing more than that. When we came over here to the States, there was no video and no articles about us. It's been an entirely music-driven phenomenon, and we want to do the same in England. Gavin, but they don't have any radio stations. Imagine riding around in London listening to all your favorite bands during the day. It'd be killer. Most Bush articles in the UK mention the dreaded Def Leppard connection. Leppard were the last British rock band to crack the states but Gavin finds the link disturbing at best. Def Leppard had records in England first before they went to America. They were just more successful in America. We're definitely not anything to do with Def Leppard. Get a fucking grip. For Gavin, the sensitive songwriter type, this year has been full of highs and lows. You hit doubts and crush yourself down, he admits. But then you start to believe that you're good again. I was on the phone to a mate the other day and he started making a big joke of how we know the right people in America. I said, fuck that, we're a great band, that's why we're doing it. Bush have managed to maintain long distance relationships. Gavin is still with a gorgeous girl he met three years ago. That's really important, he stresses. If you fuck around, you've got fuck all left. 
You can't act like some prat from the 70s. I hate that trip. There's nothing sexy about someone who just wants your dick for a trophy. Gavin's favourite word is headspace. He talks for a while about how he occasionally feels down when he should be having the time of his life, but the 27-year-old lived in America for a few months before finding Bush. Someone had just blown up my heart, he recalls, and I thought my life was becoming too safe in England. Everything Zen is about personal headspace and people relate to that. There's no bravado in our lyrics. Like gangster rap was about a certain way of treating women, cock rock was about fucking groupies and doing bad coke. Gavin grew up in northwest London, braving the bizarre perils of the Kilburn High Road. The first club I ever went to was the National and people were getting fucking beaten up all night. It was a mess and I hated all that. I hated the status given to violent people. Deep down, Gavin knows that when Bush returned to Britain, it'll be alright. If you think it'll be difficult, then you're underestimating what people like. I think people will be intrigued. There's absolutely no reason why they won't like us. The posters in this week's Kerrang! are of Courtney Love, Slash, White Zombie and Scott Ian and Dimebag Daryl holding their guitars up and looking mean. I believe the White Zombie poster was up on my wall because it's not in this copy of Kerrang! Uh, that is all, let's move on to singles. Singles, and this week the singles are reviewed by Evan, Billy, Danny and Bobby of Biohazard. Sadly, the Brooklyn Bruisers got out of bed the wrong side and Moritz the man who's got to make sense of them. Uh-oh. The first single reviewed this week is Justin Lust by The Wild Hearts. This gets 3Ks. Rather a dull number from the smashes of Kerrang! computers. Wild Hearts singles seem to be a very hit and miss affair. One minute excellent like Sucker Punch, the next a commercial dirge. Danny, it was good rock and roll. Bobby, I think he's got a good voice and it was good production. Evan, it was nice sounding, commercial, it was crap wasn't it? Bobby, you always want to take the piss out of everybody. Evan, I thought it was crap. The next thing reviewed is Faith No More with their single Evidence. This gets 4Ks. The mighty San Franciscans get all croony on us again. Pleasant laid back summer music for sitting in the sun with a bottle of cheap wine. Bobby, I seen them do this live and it was great. Billy, I like that song about shit. What is it? Poo Poo for Kaka? That's a good song. Evan, I love that track. It's awesome. The band show amazing versatility. Live, they're incredible. They're never going to stop. Next, we have Weird by Reef. This gets 3Ks. Another potential advert ditty as catchy as the last one, but ultimately as throwaway. There's a classic tune in them somewhere, but this isn't it. Bobby, nice drum work. You're just trying to be nice about it. Bobby, no, fuck you, man. I'm not into this negative fucking attitude where you try to diss everything. I'm a happy guy from Brooklyn, New York. Evan, I like it. Danny, I don't like judging bands by one song. I wouldn't like someone to judge Biohazard by one song. Billy, you just want us to say shit like they suck. I really don't care what you say about it. Weezer, with their single Say It Ain't So, this gets 3Ks. Weezer are shit, and I have a strong feeling they know it. Dire College Rock produced by the same bloke who produced the cars, Nuff said. Evan. I like Weezer, they're pioneering the punk revolution. I think they make the coolest videos. It's a real American thing that's going over the heads of anybody else. Danny. It's got good production, but it's going to take me a few times to let it grow on me. Bobby. Let the people decide man, I wish them the best of luck. Next single is Loose by Therapy, this gets 4Ks. Therapy bassist Michael McKeegan apparently describes this as a big brash summer racket with a Beach Boys chorus. No mention of the Wild Hearts, close your eyes and this could be the Wild Hearts playing one of their better songs. Billy, this is a change from their usual stuff. Danny, very melodic, high energy shit, it makes you kinda happy. 
Evan. We've heard their previous stuff, we played with them in Germany and it was cool. Don't you think it sounded like the Wild Hearts? Bobby. A lot of bands sound the same to me. Everybody seems to be going through the same thing. Therapy's got their own thing going on. Evan. They're amazing live. They've got this energy to them that's like Midnight Oil or U2. Hole with their single Violet. This gets 3Ks. Be gone you scabby old harpy. We have no desire to see your gusset or hear your tiresome squawking. Evan. I think Hole is real dope you know. A lot of people try to diss her because of Kurt Cobain. Bobby. They should be more positive but she looks like Nancy Spongen. Danny. That's a sexist comment. Are you saying women are only sex symbols? Only if they stand on stage with their tits out. The single of the week this week, which I just cannot believe is the single of the week over all of these other singles, is Fuck Off by Maniac Squat. This gets 5Ks. What do you think it sounds like with a title like that? Exactly. Actually, the production lets down an otherwise blistering punk effort. Evan. This is by far the best thing we've heard so far. Single of the week, we need to go no further. Singing, why don't you fuck off? Danny, that shit reminds me of being nine years old and listening to the punk rock show on the radio. I'm not leaving without a copy of this. Evan, it's got a real positive message. We now come to the third part of our cover stars for this week. The Kerrang interview, kicking up a stink. They're wild, they're controversial and geez are they cool. They are skunk and anti and baldy front girl skin is giving Morat the hard line. Skunk Nancy singer Skin is half an hour late when she eventually shows up at the place we've agreed to meet at. She apologises for her tardiness, explaining that there are other pressing matters on her mind. These will one day become clear when the band decide to make an announcement. Sod Kerrang being first with the news. Skunk Nancy have earned trust through honesty and integrity. I'm keeping my gob shut. It's easy to forgive Skin being a little late because she is excellent company. She is warm, candid, occasionally effusive and smaller built than you'd expect if you'd seen Skunk live. And as we share a beer and some potent garlic dip in a West End dive called Garlic and Shots, it's perhaps too easy to forget that Skin is destined to be, quite possibly, the biggest female rock singer since Tina Turner. We're only two singles selling Jesus and I can dream under their belts. It's already clear that Skunk and Nancy are heading for greatness. Make no mistake, they will be massive. How do you feel about winning a Kerrang Award when you were originally touted as an indie band? The thing about Skunk is we cross over those two boundaries. We've got the kind of art side that people who are into Bjork and stuff really like and we've also got the heavy stuff. We've got a lot of metal influences although I wouldn't say we're really a metal band because metal bands will probably go, what are they talking about? They ain't fucking metal. But it was weird to see I was the only woman up there receiving a Kerrang Award. Don't you think that's because you can actually sing rather than just squawk? No, I just don't think there's many women doing heavy stuff at the moment. The weird thing is there's loads of women into heavy music, but when it comes to bands, they get indified, you know? They get a bit wimpy or a bit screamy. We were delighted to win the award. Whoever digs us is great. It's so hard for us to get anywhere anyway because we don't do what the establishment wants. We're just happy that lots of different people are into this band. You do seem to draw a very diverse and to some extent subversive audience. Is that something you're aiming for? Well, the stuff that we're doing is poppy, but it ain't obvious cliched pop music. There's a lot of aggression and weirdness to it. And I think because of the makeup of the band, you know, you've got a black woman fronting the band that's heavy. A lot of people identify with it because they feel like they're on the outside of things in the same way that we do. 
We're into all different types of people. We want everybody to come to the gigs, but we're happy that we attract the extremes because I don't think we're so into attracting the masses. One of your most noted songs is Little Baby Swastika. Bearing in mind the swastika was originally a peace sign, do you think it should be reclaimed in the same way the gays have reclaimed the word queer? It's about time really. The Germans actually turned it around the other way so it meant the opposite to peace. But if we reclaim as much as we can from people like the Nazis, it makes their stance so much weaker. All they've done is taken what we had and twisted it and we should reclaim the whole fucking lot. Would you be happy wearing a swastika? I would be 100% happy to wear the peace sign, but I wouldn't wear the swastika because of what they did with it. Turned it around. It's hard to reclaim something as an individual. It's better to reclaim it as a group and make a statement about it so people understand. If you just start wearing a swastika, people aren't going to get it. They'll just think you're a Nazi and that's the worst. But it is possible. The American rappers reclaim the word nigger and gay people reclaim the words queer and dyke. Do you feel like you're fighting a losing battle sometimes? No matter how much ground you gain, you lose it again five minutes later. It's not going to be easy, but the alternative is letting them do what they want and letting them walk all over you, so that in another five or ten years, black people will be fucked in this country. It's like the criminal justice bill. That happened because everyone pussyfooted around and no one made a big enough deal about it. To be honest, I can't afford to see it as a losing battle because then the whole thing just crumbles in and you start thinking, well, what can I do? That's the way most of society thinks. Our newspapers are so stacked up with bullshit on who fucks Fergie, who gives a fuck who's fucking Fergie? These things are made to look important, but they're not important. On the front page, there should be something really interesting, like who's doing what in Parliament, but we're not going to get that because they don't want us to know. How do you think you'll cope with inevitably being labelled a spokesperson for a generation? I don't know. I can understand what you're saying and I'd be stupid to say, oh, I don't want to be a spokesperson or a role model, because whether I like it or not, it's going to happen. But I don't know how I feel about it. One thing I really like to do is read, and I found that at the beginning of the year I had like four books to read, but now they're all half read because you just don't get any personal time to yourself. Being in a band is a full-time thing, and being a spokesperson is a full-time thing too. So I'm beginning to think all I can do is direct people in certain directions. I know what I'm good at. I'm good at being in a band, singing, and writing songs. I ain't good at being a political spokesperson. So how do you think you'll cope with a band getting big? We don't want to turn into sad old pop stars. We started off as average real people and I think we're always going to have that at the back of our heads. We don't surround ourselves with a bunch of sycophants. We surround ourselves with real people and I think that's really all you can do. Some bands who get famous overnight seem to turn into a bunch of assholes. To be honest, I can see how that happens. All of a sudden you've got certain people around you and if you're not careful, it's an easy trap to fall into. You end up taking too many drugs and drinking too much. You end up getting away with talking to people like their shit and having no respect. Can't you be accused of that already after blowing out a London gig to go to America to feature in a new Catherine Bigelow Point Break film? Well, first of all, I didn't really want to do the gig. We'd toured so much that we'd played London four times and I felt we shouldn't play London for a while but we actually cancelled that gig only a few days after it was announced. Unfortunately, not a lot of people know that. It was a bit strange. We cancelled it ages before and I thought everybody knew. You're not going to start blowing out gigs to do Top of the Pops then. To be honest, I can see sometimes that you've got to do that, but we'll try not to. In the whole history of this band, we've only cancelled two gigs. You have to try and balance it out as a band and you can't always do what you'd like to, but you at least try not to fuck people over. Selling Jesus was never going to get on Top of the Pops anyway, was it? Selling Jesus was never going to get on Radio 1 or anything, but the point was, that was a song that summed up the band. 
We wanted something that would say, this is what Skunkadance is about. It's heavy shit, it's political, and if you don't like it, you're not going to like anything else. If you're going to change the words, there's no point in writing the bloody song. There's lots of people in the industry that can't stand Skunkadance because they don't like what we're about. If you start pandering to them, all you're doing is giving them power over your band. Finally, there seems to be a lot of debate about your sexuality. Is that something you want to clear up or is it no one's business but your own? It's a bit of both. It is no one's business, but I'm not trying to be evasive. The only reason I don't want to talk about it is because I call myself gay, but it ain't 100%. I've actually had more boyfriends than girlfriends, but at this moment in time, I've got a girlfriend. What's the point in saying you're bisexual or straight if you're with a woman? It's a bit disrespectful to her. It's easier just to say I'm gay rather than start explaining. Basically, we're heavy metal, aren't we? We made a record, it's so heavy it couldn't get off the turntable. Albums, and the album of the week this week, or should I say albums of the week, are six albums from Stone Gossard's Loose Groove label. So the first, well, the first, I mean, they're all talked about in a review, it's a bit strange. So Brad's Shame gets 5Ks, Malfunction, Return to Olympus gets 3Ks, Devil Head, Your Ice Cream's Dirty gets 2Ks, Pros and Concepts, Procreations gets 4Ks, Critters Bugging Guest gets 4Ks, and Weapon of Choice, Nutmeg Says Bozo the Town gets 4Ks. This review is by Kevin Roberts. Isn't it funny how all the Pearl Jam spin-offs, Mad Season, Hovercraft, Brad, sound nothing like Pearl Jam, whereas there's a positive flood of so-called new and original acts eager to imitate them. You know who they are. We've found the groove, have a good time, make sure your seatbelts are fastened. Brad sounded good back in 1992 and sound even better now. Shane features the multi-talents of Pearl Jam guitarist Stone Gossard is a glorious album. From the subdued strains of Buttercup through 20th century with its helicopter guitars right up to the closing Wii, Shane is still a delight to hear and remains just as fresh with every new listen as it did with the first three years ago. If you didn't take your chances on this when it was initially released, you should now. Sean Smith is one of those exceptional singers who could read from a phone book and still send shivers down your spine, and Brad reveals a subtle and relaxed side to Gossard's playing. Next up is the posthumous first-time UK release of the collected works of the semi-legendary trio Malfunction, which featured the late Andrew Wood. These songs are more than 10 years old and sound just as dated. Whereas Malfunction, and Wood in particular, were a good live band, on record, they're unremarkable aping the then hugely successful LA sound. But Landry, the love child from Olympus, as Wood build himself, was the only glam superstar Seattle has produced, even if his band kinda sucked. Though any LP containing the cover of Wang Dang's Sweet Poontang can't be all bad. If the devil has the best tunes, he'd better share some with Devilhead. With poor production, coupled to half-assed songwriting, you're not exactly onto a winner. Your Ice Cream's Dirty sounds like a mismatched demo. The best thing about the LP, the cover looks exactly like those cheesy Top of the Pops albums you used to be able to buy at the spa when you were a kid. Rap and Seattle seem unlikely bedfellows, but there is a healthy scene on the underground, as pros and concepts prove. Procreations is a relaxed and mellow jazzy hip-hop affair with hard-hitting lyrics, and it's a very impressive debut. Do You Know shines as the sextet's finest moment, and PNC should soon move to bigger and better things. Crazy mixed up jazz comes from Loose Groove's resident space cadet Critters Buggin. From the furious adrenaline rush of Shag right through to Naked Truth featuring the only vocal on the LP by Satchel Sean Smith, this is the sound of the lunatics taking over the music room at the asylum. Brilliant, 
bizarre and truly one of a kind. Weapon of choice do at least sometimes touch down on planet Earth. Most acts who try and mix in funk and rock end up with a sticky mess, but weapon of choice are so locked into the groove that they can't go wrong. Nutty nutmeg fantasy is a perfect summer romp with its wild sax and cheesy organ, and You Are It To You could be a Prince song. An all singing, all dancing affair featuring 12 infectious and very loose grooves. The next review is for an album entitled Giant by Dollface. Reviewed by Malcolm Dome, this one gets 4Ks. Songs. That's what counts above all else. If you write memorable, tuneful numbers, then you're well on the way. Whatever style of music you choose to adopt, Dollface proved the truth of this statement on Giant, a debut album which is almost big enough to match its title. Dollface have a sharp sense of irony, wit and perspective. They are a pop rock band who pen songs of maturity and venom. Witness the sorry-eyed verbal assassinations on rock stars, which is a sinister investigation of the phenomenon rather than an ode to the glories of the position. Similarly, Dear Boyfriend and Mephedrine are not exactly cosy poems on the joys and innocence of life's little dreams. But then, that's what is so impressive about Dollface. They have a focused sense of melodic appreciation that owes much to the glorious new wave pop rock era of the late 70s and early 80s. See Blondie and the Pretenders. Yet combine it with a dark, lyrical sensibility that could only come from an insight into the mid-90s. Giant is not about to change the face of rock music as we know it, but it is a record that works on a superficial level, yet also has hidden depths of quality. And vocalist Adrian Portas gives every song an unnerving twist that suggests this lot could be one of the best British bands to emerge so far in the 90s. The last review this week is for Unplucked by Six Ton Budgie. Reviewed again by Malcolm Doan, this one gets 3Ks. Budgie were one of those metal bands who could only have come from the UK in the 70s. Long defunct apart from occasional reunions, their peculiar mix of strange song titles, crash course in brain surgery, and basic power metal made them a cult act. Their memory has subsequently been kept alive by the likes of Metallica recording cover versions. Now, original drummer Ray Phillips has put together a trio cast in the Budgie mold and cut an album that contains revamped Budgie numbers as well as new material. The result is unpretentious, nostalgic metal that will appeal to all those who miss the squawking Burke Shelley and its feathered friends. Not exactly an album to compete with recent offerings from Paradise Lost or Machine Head, Unplugged aims to appeal to old-style Brit metal fans. It does the job, but nothing more. And lastly in this week's Kerrang, we have a piece entitled Pearl Jam On The Road Special, The Satanic Verses, Floods, Cancelled Gigs, Deranged Mormons is all going horribly wrong for cursed Kerrang man Kevin Roberts, who's following Pearl Jam across America. Just how much more can he take before he turns around and heads home? There are definite moments when you begin to wonder whether this tour is just plain cursed. First there was the Ticketmaster kerfuffle and Pearl Jam's decision to set up their own dates themselves. Then, just a couple of days before the paltry 13 dates they managed to put together were due to start, they're forced to cancel two dates in San Diego after the local sheriff complains about security. Before you can say fiasco, they're rescheduled into a venue with a Ticketmaster agreement and all the papers are filled with stories that the world's biggest rock band has bowed down to the pressure of big business. It's not strictly true, and the band are understandably more than a touch pissed off about it, but that's nothing to how I feel. Here I am, after a full 14 hours drive, Soaked to the skin on the top of a fucking mountain just outside Salt Lake City, listening to Eddie Vedder telling me it's too wet for them to play, so they're going to have to cancel and reschedule. Please come back next time, he begs.
but I'm already on my way back to the car, pissed on and extremely pissed off. Have you any idea what it's like to drive a thousand miles with just a couple of hours sleep for a concert, only for it to be called off literally seconds before showtime? Know how I feel? No you don't. It seemed like a good idea at the time. Follow Pearl Jam into Middle America for the first few dates of their tour and see a bit of the country too. Funny how a little rain and even less sleep can drastically change your mind. Just a couple of hours after I get back from this trip into hell, it seems Pearl Jam themselves have a change of heart. After Eddie falls ill during a concert in front of 50,000 fans in San Francisco, the band pulled a plug on the remaining dates. They've completed just a handful. Seems all the problems in organising the tour without Ticketmaster have taken their toll, even on the band the size of Pearl Jam. Here's how Pearl Jam's tour of America went. Day 1, Friday June 16th. Tickets and rental cards uh, in hand, I set off from Seattle at around 2pm, destination Salt Lake City which according to my map reading skills is about a thousand miles away. Pearl Jam are due to play at the Wolf Mountain, a skiing resort just outside the capital city. I managed 10 hours at the wheel, driving through the whole of Washington State, Oregon and into the depths of Idaho, famous for its potatoes. Ultimately the sight and smell of too many dead animals, mostly skunks, on the roadside makes me dizzy. Day 2, Saturday, June 17th. Drive through the rest of Idaho. It's all spud fields and irrigation pipes really, but quite pretty. One of the potato farms is even owned by Pearl Jam's Mike McCready, hence his new nickname, Mr. Potato Head. Cross the 47th parallel and onto Utah. Welcome to Utah. Please set your clock back 50 years, says one bumper sticker. There's a celebratory mood as I get to Salt Lake. The city has just secured the Winter Olympics for 2002 and it's easy to see why. The place is surrounded by snow-capped peaks, one of which will be playing host to Eddie Vedder and his cohorts tonight. Hope they're feeling Olympic today. It's gloriously sunny. Salt Lake is a truly bizarre place. There's a clean air ruling which prohibits smoking not just in public buildings but within 25 feet of their doorways too. Here you'll find the HQ of the Mormon church and the majority of the local populace is of that persuasion. They can't drink alcohol or caffeine, smoke or swear and they pay 10% of their annual income to the church which makes even Ticketmaster's rates seem reasonable. But as a result there's a temple there that is a spectacular piece of architecture. As we're leaving we bump into a missionary who is also from Seattle. She wants us to listen to a one hour presentation about the Mormon way. We politely decline. She asks us what brings us to Salt Lake City so we tell her. Have you ever considered following our Lord Jesus Christ instead of Pearl Jam? She asks with a straight face. Uh, no, I answer, before rushing off, wishing I'd worn a Deicide t-shirt. Just an hour before the gig's due to start, the storm clouds gather. Forked lightning flashes down into the mountains and as the rain thunders down, as I'm leaving, I see a helicopter making its way from the airport in the direction of the concert. If it's carrying Pearl Jam, they could shortly be joining Buddy Holly and Leonard Skinner in that great gig in the sky. Eddie Vedder's own words come into my head. Caught a bolt of lightning, nothing man. The half hour drive to the show is the worst of my life. Visibility is zero and there are mad truck drivers doing 80 past me on both sides. I walk uphill to the arena, just enough time to get soaked to the skin, mingling with the 12,000 other people who've been lapping up the sun for most of the day. Then we see ever ready Eddie come on stage with a loud hailer. The word's out that the show is cancelled. Thanks for coming out here, he shouts. Please don't get sick, we're going to come back and play twice as long. My maths is bad, but 2 times 0 still equals 0 in my book. One fan, who's driven all the way from North Carolina for the gig shouts at the stage, that's not very punk rock is it Eddie? The guy turns to me, 
should have at least put support band Bad Religion on just to test the water, so to speak. We agree that The Clash wouldn't have cancelled, they'd have at least two inches of phlegm on stage during their first song, but it wouldn't stop them. Wandering around, I bump into Jeff and Mem. Hey Jeff, how's it going? He looks glum, like he's having a bad hair day, isn't he always? I'm okay, he says. I've been better, but I'm okay. I'd rather be rocking right now. So what happened? It rained about two inches in an hour. Our PA has flooded and there's still one inch of water all over the stage. If we'd switched the PA back on, we were worried it would blow. So we're going to have to reschedule, but we'll be back. He walks off. I head back to Salt Lake just an hour later. The sun is out again. I walk around the city and notice the Slavic festival is going ahead. In spite of the torrential downpour earlier, guess they're just more resilient, those Slavs. Day 3, Sunday, June the 18th. Another beautiful day. Head off through the mountains of Utah and onto Wyoming, the Wild West. Nowadays, the cowboys just drive pickup trucks instead of horses, but they're still there. On the way, the scenery is like in any western you've ever seen. And strangely enough, there's reminders of Pearl Jam 2, Jeremy Ranch and Green River City. But the best is Happy Jack Road. Radio stations play both country and western. Cross the continental divide and hit Colorado in the early evening and make my way to Denver for the next gig at Red Rocks. It's not until tomorrow, but there's reports that a mountain thunderstorm is expected. Check my ticket, it says rain or shine. Day 4, Monday, June the 19th. If there is a nicer venue on earth than the Red Rocks, I'll be surprised. Set up so high in the mountains that you're even overlooking Denver, the Mile High City, it's a natural amphitheater surrounded on all sides by these giant red rocks. Amazingly, the acoustics are still great. Bad Religion kick off the show, they're frenzied and very punk rock, but seem obsessed with the fact that most Pearl Jam fans might not be too familiar with them. They bring it up several times during the set, it gets boring, so do they. Hadn't seen Pearl Jam since they got to the level of playing arenas. What sort of changes could they have made on entering the big league? I wonder. My question is answered in just a few minutes when the band walk on stage, followed by Eddie Vedder, who sat astride a chopper. But don't panic, that's a chopper, as in rally chopper, rather than a motorbike. He falls off as it reaches his mic stand. This place fucking sucks, he says, taking a look at the surrounding mountains. That's obviously the furthest thing from the truth. Just like us being in with Ticketmaster. It's the furthest thing from the truth. Anyway, enough talk, he says in this soft voice of his, let's play some music. I've always had doubts about how moving a band can be in an arena, but these were quickly dispensed with. The band burst into a furious version of Go and without pausing for breath, follow it with Last Exit, Spin the Black Circle and Animal. It's glaringly obvious that their success is on their own terms. Five against one. Pearl Jam versus the rest of the world. They've made no concessions to arena rock. They don't have a massive stage set or even a drum riser. There are no pyrotechnics or slideshows. Even the lights are basic. Core. You could pick up a better set of British home stores. This policy brings the songs and the band's performance to the fore. And when they're firing on all cylinders as they are tonight, there are quite simply none better. It's driven home by the climax of Corduroy. As Vedder sings, everything has changed, absolutely nothing, which pretty much defines the feeling here tonight. During rearview mirror, I look around. In the distance, I can see the sparkling lights of Denver, planes circling to land and fork lightning over the mountains and Pearl Jam are providing the soundtrack. It's one of those perfect moments I will probably remember forever. Sniff. During a live, Vedder stumbles over the words and comments, Sometimes it's weird to sing this song, it's just weird, and his voice trembles when he sings the You're Still Alive She Said line. Black is even more moving. But there are lighter moments. At the end of Black, Vedder's back on the mic. I've just realised what it is. It's so fucking high up here, I can hardly breathe. 
Bet it's not just me. You're all high too, right? Later when he tells the crowd they are all individuals with minds of their own, they just cheer in unison back at him. This is the night I saw the best band in the world at the Earth's Best Arena. They may have been a washout in Salt Lake, but Pearl Jam mercilessly rocked the Rockies. I have two full days drive ahead of me. I've had about six hours sleep over the past six days, but I still wish I was following them further. Although I'd still counted myself as a fan, I'd kind of lost my faith in Pearl Jam. I hadn't expected to be moved by them anymore, especially in the company of 18,000 other people. How wrong can you be? Day 5 and 6, Tuesday, June 20th, Wednesday, June 21st. Drive continuously through the Rocky Mountain National Park and back through Wyoming, Utah, Idaho, Oregon and Washington. Funny how places lose their appeal when you're heading home. It's a one-way journey of 24 hours on the road, covering 1,500 miles. As I drive back to Seattle, I total it all up. Six days away from home, 50 hours behind the wheel, driving across six states, covering nearly 3,000 miles for a gig and a bit in the company of 30,000 Pearl Jam fans, half of them now probably bedridden with flu. And the one statistic that really matters, a truly great Pearl Jam show. Charts Attack and the number one album this week is These Days Bon Jovi, number one in the indie album charts is Draconian Times Paradise Lost and number one in the singles charts is Misery Soul Asylum. The reader's chart this week comes from M from Chelmsford. Her chart begins 1. Satan's Bed Pearl Jam, 2. Safe Harvest Head Swim, 3. Eject Center, 4. Meat Plow Stone Temple Pilots, 5. Wake Reef, 6. Got Me Wrong Alice in Chains, 7. If Life Is Like a Love Bank, The Wild Hearts, 8. Jesus Christ Post Soundgarden, 9. Edge of the World Faith No More and 10. Demon Cleaner Caius. Star tracks this week come from Clovis Dillweed Taylor from Head Swim. His chart begins 1. Maxine Key, Tricky, 2. Very Heavy, Very Humble, Uriah Heap. 3. The Holy Bible, Manic Street Preachers, 4. Box Set Wall, and 5. Vintage Traffic. Next week, in Kerrang Bank Issues, is it all over for the Wild Hearts? The Phoenix Festival fiasco, the splits, the fistfight, their full amazing story. White Zombie, on the road with America's Most Wanted. Soundgarden and Alice in Chains, Seattle's finest return. Phoenix Festival, Sound, Spliffs and Sunstroke. Sepultura, Third World Chaos with Max's Men, yikes plus Blind Melon, Black Sabbath, Catherine Will, Therapy, and Biohazard. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back next Wednesday as usual. Look forward to talking to you all then. Bye for now.